join me in again as we uh, hear God's word proclaimed prayer. Father, we pray that you would uh, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts. To your glory, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been going to, through the uh, book of Mark, and we've been going through this gospel, and we're getting toward the halfway point, which we're, once we get halfway, we're going to take a little break and uh, do something else, do another series. So we've got uh, just a few more weeks left here. And we've been talking about the king. The king has come, and he's establishing his reign here on earth. King Jesus. And here in this, we see how only an inside-out cleansing that we can find only in Jesus can heal our relationship with God. We look to find our own traditions, and we look to find other ways that we can cleanse ourselves, and they're all external. They're from the outside in instead. And we see right here, as we saw earlier in Mark, where... Jesus is clashing with the religious leaders of his day. He's clashing with the Pharisees and with the scribes. They were like the pastors of Jesus' day. Follow with me as we look through verses 1 through 4, start off. And we see first that Jesus, the point is that we need to reject an outside-in cleansing. We need to reject an outside-in cleansing. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, so they got even some of the big guys, the big pastor theologians from Jerusalem are now have deigned to come and check out, see what Jesus is up to and what he's saying. When they saw that some of his disciples, some of Jesus' followers, ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. And then Mark explains us a little bit to here, because he's talking to many non-Jews in Rome, where he's writing from, and also as he's knowing that this gospel is going to go out to others, people who are not Jews too. He says this, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash with their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace even, they do not eat unless they wash. All right, so what's going on here? According to the Old Testament law, it was required that Levitical priests had to wash their hands for priestly duties. So this had nothing to do with hygiene. This had nothing to do with good hygiene. People, unfortunately, didn't really know about germs back then. That came much later, but it was a, it was a spiritual cleansing. It was symbolic of a spiritual cleansing. It's what we call a ceremonial Ceremonial cleansing, part of the ceremonial law. And the Pharisees then, years, years later, thousands of years later, after this was given by Moses, um, created this huge system, applied this rule from the priests to all people, and then made a huge system about it, about how you had to wash your hands after you've even gone to the local grocery store here, as Mark um, talks about. And as well as all different things, with the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels, dining couches, that they have to be ceremonially clean. 
You can't let unclean things touch them. You can't have Gentiles, non-Jews, for example, can't touch them, or people who are unclean for a number of different ceremonial reasons, as the book of Leviticus talks about. They apply that for so many things than the Word of God actually applied it to. And they're applying it to all people, rather than just the priests washing their hands ceremoniously. All right, so why did God create a law for priests to wash their hands? This one particular thing, why did he do that? To show how unclean we are as people, right? The priests were sinners also, and they'd approach a holy God. And so they received a cleansing from God. This was a ceremonial. It's showing how good God is, how holy he is, how clean he is, and how we are sinful. This was for a certain time. It's called what people call the ceremonial law. But then there's parts of the Old Covenant, right, that we still hold on to, right? Like, I think it's a pretty good idea not to murder anyone, okay? That's part of the Ten Commandments, right? And it's summed up, right, as many of you, all of you, I'm sure, could say, in loving God, right, and loving others, right? That's part of the law that we keep, that we hold on to, part of the moral law, all right? So God made this law for priests. And then the Pharisees make this law for everyone, right? And they make up all these other laws about it. So Jesus rightfully corrects this. He corrects this. Let's look at the rest of verse 4 down through 8 and see how he corrects them. So Jesus goes on. He says, all right, he, they do all this stuff. They have, add all these other washings. And then the Pharisees and scribes, they ask him. They ask Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? Notice how they don't even ask, hey, why don't they, why don't your disciples not follow God's word? No, it's the traditions of the elders. Why don't you do that? But they eat, but they eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? He's got fierce words for them. Jesus always has fierce words for man-made religion. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you? And then he quotes a portion of Isaiah right here. This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. These people honor me with their lips. They might, maybe they show up on a Sunday morning and they sing the songs, but man, they're... Their hearts are far from me. They don't care. They don't care actually at all about worshiping me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then Jesus rebukes them and he says, You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You created all these traditions, all these laws and rules. But that's not even what God said. God didn't say these things. Jesus wants us to know that we need to follow God's word. Therefore, we need to know God's word, not man's traditions. They created all these things, but they forgot God's law, God's word in the meantime. They forgot all these other things that we can have joy, that we can have a, the life God wants us to by following them. 
So we have to remember, all right, why, why did God give us his word? And what exactly did he say us to do? Why did God give us his word, his law? And why? Our heart predisposition is to always to obey these traditions, these things that we create, these man-made laws, and keep them up. And Jesus points this out here. Let's keep going. He says, and he gives them a, an example. He's like, all right, here's another example of that you guys, how you guys do this. Verse 9, he says, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, one of the commandments, right? One of the Ten Commandments. And he said, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many, many such things you do. All right, so what's he talking about here? <clears throat> we need some translation. We need some explanation. All right, so the law rightly says, all right, honor your mother and father. Honor your mother and father. And that looks different at different times. In that society and culture um, where there was no um, social security, for example, um, and most families would continue to live together. You know, you'd have multiple generations living together. You'd have your parents or grandparents living with you. And so what was needed in that is to take care of your mother and father in their old age, right? But what happened here is that the Pharisees were teaching people to say, oh, you could just say it's Corbin. Corbin is a Hebrew word that means dedicated to God. This is dedicated to God. So you would do this if you had, um, if you received a gift or you had some of your money or something, you'd say, all right, this is dedicated to God. All right, I'm going to give this to God. I'm going to give this to the temple. I'm going to give this to the church. All right, it's dedicated to God. So you could do that. And it was irrevocable. If you said that, you couldn't take it back in, in their tradition. So... The Pharisees were teaching that people could say, oh, all my possessions are Corbin. All my money is Corbin. And so I don't have to provide and help out my mom and dad. So what they're saying is, all right, I can, I can get out of honoring my mother and father, taking care of them, being a blessing to them in this culture and time that that was a big deal for it. You needed to do that. And that was a big um, part of society and culture as we should take care of our mother and father as, as we're able to I know that looks different at different times <clears throat> but he says alright you make your, up your own laws and commandments so then you don't follow God's word which says to honor your father and mother and you do so many other things like this you miss the whole point of the law you, you create this other little rule and then you miss God's heart of loving other people, of loving him. The Pharisees were great at putting heavy burdens on people, heavy burdens. And that's sometimes what some pastors and some fellow Christians, we do that today, right? Sometimes we do that to ourselves. I know I've done that a lot to myself. I heard this story 
I drive uh, for Lyft once a week, ride sharing, and I give people rides. Um, it's actually how I met Veronica, anyway. <laughs> um, we're glad you're here. But I, I was meeting, I was talking to this, uh, this woman as I was driving on, uh, on Tuesday, and I heard uh, some of her tragic story. Um, Adela was her name, <coughs> and she talked about how her family growing up, they were big partiers, big partiers, all right? Her parents and everything. They'd have these crazy parties, but then her parents met Jesus. And it was like, man, everything changed overnight. It was quite a shock to her as this, this teen, this teenager. Come on in, man. <clears throat> and everything changed. You had, and her, her father, Adela's father, became a, a pastor, became one of the pastors as church. And it was suddenly like, man, all right, you've got you to gotta be good because everyone else is watching you. Right? And man, you gotta dress a certain way, kids. And you're not allowed to listen to this music. You gotta listen to only this kind of music. <coughs> and all of these things. And it became such a heavy pressure on Adela and her brothers and sisters. And her brothers and sisters, their heart, there wasn't in this. They weren't Christians themselves. And it was suddenly this heavy burden. And so Adela. She rebelled. In her own words, she rebelled big time from this. And at 15, uh, she became pregnant. Like the Pharisees, their own man-made traditions and rules, they placed a heavy burden of legalism on that family. And as Adela shared with me, she hasn't gotten back to church since. We do this the same thing to ourselves. What question for us I want you to ask yourself what kind of rules do I make for myself or I've ta have I taken from others that are outside of God's law outside of God's word you know Christians we say all these kind of things we have all these little kitsch and bad sayings <clears throat> here's a few that I that I uh, thought up right uh, we say uh, things like God helps those who helps them themselves a little bit and there's something to that God helps those who help themselves I can't help myself I'm going to help myself right into hell I can't help myself I can't save myself I can't do anything good from myself the Bible says God helps those who God helps those God saves those rescues those who are utterly helpless that's what the Bible says who are sinners who are utterly bankrupt that's who God helps those who just cast themselves on him. <coughs> we say things sometimes like, he or she is in a better place now. They're in a better place now. All right, that could be true. They could be with our Lord in heaven. But this is phrases just said around from everyone, anyone. Whereas the Bible says that, all right, there is a heaven, there is a hell. <coughs> we say things like, all right, here's another little rule. Sometimes people have looked at me even so judgmentally for this, for example. You have to pray before you eat. All right, that's a good practice. But does the Bible say you have to pray before you eat? No. 
It's nowhere in there. Ah, sure, that's a good practice. You know, we do that for, for dinner. <clears throat> you don't have to do that. That's a tradition. Here's another thing Christians might imply or say. Your, your personal devotion to the Lord, your time with God, your Bible study, that's what makes you righteous with God. Your own purity, that's what makes you righteous with God. No. Only the blood of Jesus can make you righteous before God, friends. And that is good news. Christians say things like, all right, people say good things like, all right, good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. The Bible says you're all bad people and deserve judgment. That's what the Bible says. But, but through Christ, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can be with God forever. People say things like, oh, I'm not a bad guy. No, the Bible says we're wicked. It says we're messed up. We're really messed up. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. But yes, Christ can make us new. Today, we're in the same realm of letting people off easy and missing the point of the law. We just miss the law sometimes as ceremonial where and other aspects of it that aren't. The real problem is we try to make the law more manageable, something that we could attain. A number of check boxes, as we often talk about. <clears throat> something external, something that we can do with our own hands, that we can build up our own righteousness with our own two hands. And that's really a self-righteousness. We can take pride in it and say, all right, hey, look, I've made myself righteous. I've become pure. try to do things like this and make all these little rules rather than the broad brushstrokes of the law, of God's word. That is love God. Love God and love others. Because we often, we want to establish our own righteousness. We want to be righteous in our own eyes. We want to compare ourselves maybe to others and feel that we're at a pretty good place. We're at a pretty good place for ourselves. When really, the Bible says this, Romans 3.20, it says this, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. It says, through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, part of the thing about the law is it's supposed to show us, man, how sinful and messed up we are, how much we need God, how much we need a Savior that God has given to us. Only Christ can make, give us this internal cleansing to heal our relationship with God. Seek, my friends, seek God's word, not man's. Reject an outside-in cleansing. And that's the second point. We need an inside-out cleansing. It's to be received, not earned, but we can receive an inside-out cleansing. Let's look at this. So if we look at this passage, verse 14 and down. You see, the thing about <clears throat> a spiritual and an internal, an inside-out cleansing, is it can't be measured. It's hard to measure that. It's hard to measure where your, your spiritual walk is out. You can't point necessarily to external things and say, oh, this is, this is where I'm at. We want something physical, tangible, that we can point to and see how we're doing. But that's not how it works. We try to do things in order to get right with God and establish our own cleanliness and holiness. And the problem, Jesus says, is it's our own heart. 
Let's look at verse 14, 15. And he called the people to him again and said, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And what Jesus says out here is actually really brilliant. There's nothing, it's not by what you put outside of you that makes you sinful. But that what comes already outside of you that makes you sinful. The problem is your own heart, Jesus says. That's why it's so dangerous. Another thing that people say today, to follow your own heart. To follow your own heart. Man, if I followed my own heart, I'd be in a lot of trouble. There's no telling what I would do. Now, because by God's grace, I'm a new creation. All right, there's some good things there too. All right, don't get me wrong. But to follow your own heart. The problem is our own hearts. The problem is our own hearts. What we do. You see, we could be doing a good thing. And then, wait, your heart though, it could be not in it. It could be doing something evil right then, thinking bad of the person. There's so many problems with that. The problem was not so much that person so much as your heart. Verse 16 here, maybe it appeared in some of your Bibles, but it isn't even in the original manuscripts. So that doesn't appear in until hundreds of years later. We have a lot of other... Um, sources that someone came in and they thought they could add and make Jesus' words a little better. So it's not in there. So that's why we didn't read it. It's not in the earliest manuscripts. Verses 17 through 19. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And so he explains it to them. His disciples, right? We've seen this before in Mark. He explains to them further. He says, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him. Since it enters into, not into his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Wow. All right. That's, that's a big statement right there. We'll unpack that. And then... Jesus will continue to unpack what he's talking about here. So in the ceremonial law, too, as part of the Old Testament, they also said that in order to um, see God as holy, that there are certain foods that were unclean. Some certain foods that were unclean. Famously, right, that uh, Jewish people, for example, can't have pork, right? But praise God, all right? We get this verse here. We get the new covenant we get in Acts 10, uh, God gives Peter a vision even. I call it the bacon vision, all right? Hallelujah, all right? Where all these unclean animals come down. He gets a vision of it. And God says, all right, Peter, what I've made clean, do not declare unclean, all right? There was a time in the Old Testament, part of the ceremonial law, not the moral, where these things God was showing to a specific people, the nation of Israel, that was showing that God is holy, that they were supposed to be different. They were supposed to eat food and do all the things that other nations and people did. But he's saying, all right, now, all right, it's not, it's not, that was just for a time. 
now he's saying, all right, what comes, what a person eats, that, that doesn't make him more sinful or not, you know? So he declares all foods clean. So now we can eat bacon. And thanks to Eric and Kelly, my family, we had some bacon yesterday. So, I mean, amazing stuff, amazing stuff. So we're happy about that. Declare all foods clean, right there. And that, that ends up getting teased out in the book of Acts and in the rest of the letters that came after the Gospels and what Jesus here, what, what that looks like, because that was a big deal. All right, Jesus goes on. <clears throat> Verses 20-23. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. What comes out of a person? What comes out of your heart, your soul? Because from within the heart of a man, of a woman, come evil thoughts, come sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit. Jesus just covers it all here, all the sins. Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is saying, all right, you can't just clean the outside, all right, and then the inside's going to be clean. You can't just, this happens all the time in my house. Our kids, we have them help out with the dishwasher and stuff, and <clears throat> you can't just, all right, they clean the outside of the bowl, right, with all the stuff on it, and you put it in the dishwasher, and then later on the next morning, you're taking all the stuff out of the dishwasher, and you're like, oh, that looks nice, and, oh, has still all this gross food on the inside of it, right? That didn't make it clean. Jesus uses this analogy at a different point in the Gospels. You, we try to do that. We try to clean our outside. We try to, oh man, if I just do these things, that'll kind of make my heart and make myself clean, and I'll make myself righteous before God. Doesn't work. I've tried it. The reason why a phrase like Follow your own heart is really troubling. Is uh, you know, Disney never heard of Jeremiah 17:9. Jeremiah 17:9 says the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Friends, I can't even understand my own heart. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said very famously, the line between good and evil passes not through states, not through countries, nor between classes, nor between political parties, okay, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. All these things, Jesus says, come from within. They are what defile a person. You know, I, just this last week and others, I've had friends that tell me, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, though. I'm a good guy. Christians that say this. God knows I'm a good person. Now, in Christ, he has made us clean. He has made us good. But we know that apart from that, there's nothing good in me. That's what the Bible says. Our problem is that even when our hearts have been changed, there are a mix of motives, of things clean and unclean, dirty hearts and motives. God was really trying to get this 
over this message across to his people in Zechariah 3. And it uses the, the uh, example of kind of the most righteous person you could think of under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, the high priest. And this high priest, he actually is talked about, his name was Joshua and Nehemiah. He was actually a good guy. He was a righteous person. Joshua the high priest. But God tries to get this example over them in Zechariah 3. And he shows Zechariah this vision. He shows Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan also standing on the right side to accuse him. Right? Many of us know that. The devil wants to accuse us, right? He accuses us. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed in filthy garments. And good Jewish people, having heard that, they would be like, what? What? They had to go through this elaborate cleansing, this ceremonial cleansing for the high priest to be able to come before the Lord, washed and clean, so pure. He'd have this beautiful and this pure clothing that he'd have on, this robe, this turban, and he'd go there before the Lord. But it's saying here, he's clothed in filthy garments. The garments, some commentators would say that he's, he's looks, he has feces all over him. It looks absolutely disgusting. And Jewish people would have been like, what? Wow. The high priest, that's what he looks like? This is what he looks like before God. He has a sinful heart too, just like all of us. And the angel said to those who were standing him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a pure, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and rolled him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. This is what God can do to us, friends. We come to him through Jesus. But we try so many other ways. This is what even our popular culture says. We try through an external cleansing. Another way we try to do this is, uh, Pastor Tim Keller says, I think really well, he says, uh, popular culture says to us this. It says, aha! There's a way to be clean. Just be pretty. Have flawless skin. Change your look. Get thin. Look like a celebrity. That's why our culture in America has such an obsession with beauty. Some of us, we, we have obsession with health, physical appearance. I hear from people often, you know, I'm... I drive around people with Lyft every week and I'll ask them, you know, what's your philosophy on life? What's, where do you find meaning in life? How do you live your life? And a lot of people will say something like, I try to be a good person. Try to be a good person. How many of us have you tried to really be a good person for one day? Try, try to be a really good person. Everything you do is good. Every heart, motive, and thought for a whole day. Then try that for a week. Try that for a week to be a really good person. Everything you do, 
Everything that you think of that people should be doing to be good and loving, sacrificial, serving, humble, try to do that for just a week. That will crush you. Try to do it for all your life. For the next month, for year after year. Where people think things like, man, if I do enough good things, that'll expunge and wipe out the bad things I've done. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. And it doesn't work that way for God. I think of Martin Luther that we've talked about. Martin Luther, he, w- he was trying to do this too. He'd go to his confessors, part of the Catholic Church. He'd go to the people he's supposed to confess with, and then they're supposed to forgive him. And he would wear them out. They'd have to wear... They have to say, all right, sorry, Martin, uh, we got to change out with another priest, monk, who's got to come in here and take over for me to hear your sins. Because he would wear them out for hours. He'd be confessing all his sins. Like, man, if I could say all of them, all of my heart sins, then God would forgive them. No. He was trying to cleanse himself again, right? We can't do it. We can't do it. We're so messed up. Our hearts are so sinful. We are defiled. How can we be clean? We need an inside-out cleansing. We need an inside-out cleansing. One that only Jesus can give us. One that only Jesus can give us. Some of us, maybe some of you here, you wonder why you keep on failing at things. You keep on trying to get out of habits and you keep on finding yourselves in them. I think there's two reasons for that two things. One is maybe you haven't become a Christian yet. You haven't given your life to God. You haven't received a new heart that actually wants and desires and can do good things. Or second thing is, is maybe you're just trying to get at the external issues. You haven't gotten to the real deep heart issues that you're dealing with. You're trying to do things on your own strength. I still do this. I was trying to do this for a long time, for years. I was trying to get better on my own strength rather than rely on God's. You see, when you become a Christian, it's not like taking a magic pill. It's not like a magic formula where, man, you suddenly like, man, wow, I'm suddenly so different in all these areas. And it's easy. No. We've got to walk it out. It's hard. See, this is what we really need, an inside-out cleansing. This is what Jesus came to do. Jeremiah 31, it says this, Behold, there's going to be a day that comes, and it's fulfilled in Jesus, when I will make a new covenant with them. I will put my law within them. They're going to actually want to obey me. I'm going to give them a new heart. I will write it on their hearts, he says. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they will no longer even teach No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Jesus came to die to cleanse us of our sin. But not only that, to give us a new heart. He came to give us a new heart that would actually love him and love others, that would actually obey his law. A new heart. See, one of the biggest misunderstandings of the condition of our own heart is that I think we have to do something to it. We have to change it, but we can't change it. You might as well say to a newborn baby, all right, change your own diaper. You might as well do that. 
Yeah, that would be silly, right, Sadie? You might as well say, all right, I put a, I put a, a cake batter in this tin, all right? And just say, bake. Just do it, bake. You can't say to your own heart, just... <laughs> yeah, right, right? Technology, right? You might as well stand before an army of corpses and say, all right, live. You can't do it. Dead people can't come to life again. It's like this. I'm going to close with this. You kids will like this story, too. You guys know this story. Some of you have heard this recently when uh, Hazel just turned nine. <clears throat> but Chelsea and I, when, uh, when Chelsea was pregnant with our first, with Hazel, nine years ago, it was the first one, and we remember we were celebrating my, uh, my father's birthday, actually, and so we were with family, and uh, Chelsea's in the bathroom, and I hear from the bathroom, Jonathan, Jonathan, come here. So I go to, I go to the bathroom, like, all right, what's going on? We got people here, family. It's like, my water broke. I'm like, no way, no way. All right, this is it, this is the time, okay. And then we tell my family, and they're like, oh, this is so exciting, and they help clean up and everything, and they're trying to help us out. And then they get out of there, and then, all right, the fun start. <clears throat> the hospital um, that we were going to be at was an hour away. We were in Chicago. And, uh, and so we're getting all ready, and Chelsea talks to the midwives to say, all right, labor at home, all right, it's your first one, so it's going to take a while. Little did they know that my wife, uh, from her mother's side, genetically speaking, she just she has really fast pregnancies. I mean, excuse me, not really fast pregnancies. It takes nine months too, but really fast deliveries. Right? That would be nice if you could shriek it, right? <clears throat> Shelly's like, yeah, amen. All right. Um, is that labor goes very fast? So, so we're laboring. She's laboring at home. I'm trying to stay out of the way. I'm trying to make sure that we have everything, suitcase or, you know, little handbag, whatever. And it becomes clear eventually that, all right, we're going to need to go. We need to go. It's only been a few hours, but all right, we need to go. Okay? And so, all right, it's an hour away. But I made it there. I almost pulled over. I saw cops a few times. To, we did transition labor, for those of you who know, in the car. All right? which was crazy, all right? I thought, we were, I thought she was gonna give birth in the car. It was close, it was close. <clears throat> and this is what the car ride was like, all right? I'm driving there, it's in winter, driving to Chicago. I made it there in a half hour, right? And Chelsea is like, turn on the heat, come on, hotter. No, colder, colder, no, hotter. It's like that the whole drive, all right? And she's just riding in transition labor in the, in the car. It was crazy, okay? All right, we make it there an hour later. All right, give birth to little Hazel right here, who we have now nine years later, all right? An hour after we got there, all right? You see, Chelsea, birth was happening to Chelsea. 
It was going to happen whether she liked it or not. Birth was happening to her. And that's what, friends, that we need. Birth is something that happens to you. It's not something that you do. It's God's work. Friends, we need to be born again. We need a new heart. And we can only come to Jesus. He is the only one who can cleanse us from the inside out. We have to come to him each day in faith and trusting him for an internal cleansing. He's the one who's got to change and clean out our hearts and our minds. You can't do that yourself. We have to reject an outside in cleansing, friends. We have to receive, though, an inside out. Receive it. Knowing that only Christ, Christ alone, can give us this eternal cleansing to be with the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that we would realize this, God. We would realize this, that only through Jesus can we get new hearts, hearts that will love you. Yes, and then we still struggle with our sinful desire and flesh. But we're thankful that Jesus has provided a way for our hearts to be made right with you, for them to be changed, for them to be a process when, where the Holy Spirit is weeding out these different sinful desires, these evil thoughts that Jesus talks about here. That it's just fruitless, it's just void to try to make up these different laws for ourselves, follow different ways other Christians or, or the world give us these rules that don't change the heart, but we're thankful that the Spirit changes our hearts. That Jesus Christ's blood, Him loving us, dying for us, that can change our hearts. That work of God could change our hearts and bring us to new people. We pray that we would trust that. We would come to trust that. Whether we never have before, or we trust that more each day, and as this next week goes by, as the weeks go by, that he's the one who changes us as we seek to do that, an inside-out cleansing. In Jesus' name, amen.